Mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Hi, this is Julie Newmore, and you are listening to TV Confidential. Robertson, the reminder that Michael Connolly will join us later on the hour. Michael Connolly, New York Times best-selling author and the executive producer of Bosch, Bosch Legacy, and The Lincoln Lawyer. We hope you stay tuned for that. In the meantime, Chuck Harder is with us. Chuck Harder, music historian, musician, songwriter, also the writer of the excellent, acclaimed Disney Channel documentary, Hey, Hey, We're the Monkeys. Chuck interviewed all four monkeys for the documentary as well as everybody who was somebody behind the monkeys phenomenon chuck revisited the monkeys series in its entirety not too long ago and uh he's here to answer the burning question does the monkey series still hold up after 55 years earlier in our program chuck walked us through the events that led to the premiere of the monkeys television series in september 1966 as we pick up the conversation we were talking about the role that don kirshner tommy boyce and bobby hart played in developing some of the early music that was heard on the monkeys series and how the success of the monkeys television series drove the success of the monkeys record so before the show airs maybe a month before, something like that, Last Train to Clarksville is released. And it, up the charts, bang. Now, part of it was the publicity machine for this new show and this new group, but it, it's a really good single. It's a, it's a sort of hybrid of the Dave Clark Five's Catch Us If You Can and a few others. Boyce and Hart even said that. They took little snippets of what was popular in the charts and kind of put together a uh, combination to make the hit. Bam, hit. Here comes the show. And it's funny, in looking at them again in order, Last Train to Clarksville is featured in like the first seven episodes. Again, again, again. Sometimes they're performing it, or sometimes it's the romps. And the romps were usually a two-and-a-half to three-minute segment in each show where they would basically run around and do slapstick things. And sometimes they'd speed up the camera, and sometimes they'd do slow-mo right, and right. stuff and like that. Right, right. And those are the music videos, yeah. in essence, for the records. Which goes back, which goes back to the editing, which, is, which made it visually interesting right. and visually different. And made them, oh, they're so funny, like yeah. the Marx Brothers. Mm-hmm. But, they ba- but basically it was, okay, guys, you're, you're on a set. Pick up, you're in a kitchen. Pick up stuff and do funny. And they did. And they shot a bunch of stuff, and then they picked the best material for the two and a half minutes against the track. So all of a sudden, the powers that be said, wait a minute, we've got this TV show that's doing pretty good in the ratings. Now all of a sudden, there's this record side of it. Oh, uh uh-oh, okay. So there was power plays to see who would get the songs on the album because he knew the album would sell millions and they'd make a lot of money. And then the boys themselves decided, okay, we want to do gigs. We want to go out and play. Really? Well, okay, this seems kind of different. 
And I think, again, the only time that had happened before is when Ricky Nelson went out in the late 50s with a band and did shows. So they got it together, and they went out and they did some shows, and they were sort of a garage band, simplified version of the records. But it was them, and they were very charismatic, as they were throughout. And it was good enough, because the PA systems weren't that good. The Screaming Girls kind of drowned them out. So as long as they were competent, they did okay. So now the Monkees are a TV series, the Monkees are a recording unit, and a performing unit. There's actually three sides to the Monkees coin. Uh-oh. And they were all in their early 20s, but in that first half year going up to the show, and I guess the rest of that year, 1966, it's a miracle they slept at all because they had to be in the studio at 6 in the morning or whatever, to film all day long, at night, try and do some recording, even if they were just doing vocals, and do shows on the weekend. Torque said those years knocked some years off our lives. Sure. Because, again, it was just go, go, go all the time. And they, of course, got swept up in it that, oh, wait a minute, well, we are a real group, or are we? You know, and that became a subject of debate later. But the shows, as I see them are fun. Like I said, occasionally the formula comes in and like any TV series, Ed, if you have 26 in a season, you're going to have some great ones, some very good ones, some good ones, some fair ones, and some dogs. It just happens because you've got to grind out a show in three days. Right. As As Quinn Martin would say, you have 10 good ones and 10 that you film because you have to make 26 or 30 a year. No, exactly. But the monkeys, on the whole, in both seasons, their batting average, I would say, is at least 60 to 70% good ones. Okay, way more than half. Even the weird second season is more good ones than bad ones. So the show's going along, and along with all of this, there's marketing. Oh, that's right. So much like Batman or Elvis in the 50s or the Beatles in 64... There's merchandise. There's all kinds of merchandise. Monkey toys, monkey shirts, monkey clothes, monkey charm bracelets, just all of this stuff as well. So it's now becoming big money and big business. Not for the boys, who I think each got 450 bucks a week. And I think they may have had a small percentage of the merchandising, but hardly anything. You know, the... The powers that be made all the money. It's not, and which which was not an unusual uh, no. television contract back in the day, especially when you're dealing with someone as large as Columbia. Well, that's true, and I think a lot of the Western stars that were over at Warner's, you know, like Clint Walker, all those guys, you know, Maverick, all all those Western shows. They fought games, the same battle, yes. Games and all this merchandising, and they got almost nothing yeah. for it. But that's the nature of the beast. Mm-hmm. And unless you became a breakout star like James Garner, who had the clout to fight the system, you you went with it or you quit the show. No, absolutely. And so, you know, getting into, I guess, near the end of 66, the album's out, singles out, number ones, merchandising, they're doing limited touring, uh, they're still recording, they're still filming, they're big stars. I mean, it, I think it, it blew up more than Rafelson and Snyder envisioned. 
because Ravelson had tried for some years to get a series on, say, a Kingston Trio type folk group or something, and nothing happened. And nah, we don't we don't want to do uh, we don't want to do something on a rock and roll band. And there had been a couple of series called Hullabaloo and Shindig that were popular, but those are like musical variety shows mm-hmm. for rock bands. And those had actually both faded before the Monkees came in. Now, the Monkees also had the benefit of being in color. And by the mid-60s, color TV sets had really come down in price. So people were getting color TV sets. And if you look at the episodes of the Monkees now, especially after they've all been remastered for Blu-ray in the last X years, and whatever is showing on this current network or that's showing them that you mentioned, I'm sure they look pristine. The color is off the charts. It is so technicolor, colorful, much like the Batman series when that finally came out. It's like, it almost looks high def. So very colorful. And uh, they're becoming big stars. So... It kind of was rolling along nicely. If you have Axis TV, the Axis TV digital channel, you can enjoy the Monkees every Friday night as far as Axis's retro Friday night programming package. Uh, Monkey, the Monkey series also available, what, Blu-ray, DVD, pretty much anywhere, both physical and digital home video platform. Chuck Carter's with us. Uh, Chuck wrote the definitive documentary on the Monkees, Hey Hey, where the Monkees originally filmed for the Disney Channel. He spoke to anybody who was somebody with regard to the Monkees phenomenon, including Dolenz, Torque, Nesmith, and Jones. And we're revisiting the Monkees series. Calendar year 2023 marks the 55th anniversary of the final season on the Monkees. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. One more item for our listeners in Northern California. Our friend Robert Crane will be in conversation with commercial artist John Cerny at the Triton Museum of Art, 1505 Warburton Avenue in Santa Clara on Saturday, November 18th, beginning at 12 noon. John Cerny, of course, nationally renowned artist whose larger-than-life works of art are often meant to be viewed from a distance. Some of John's works are currently on display at the Triton Museum of Art. The event with John Cerny and Robert Crane is free, open to the public, including free parking, and will include drinks and light snacks. For more information, tritonmuseum.org forward slash events, tritonmuseum.org forward slash events. Hi, this is Nick Santamaria, and you're listening to TV Confidential. circle back a little bit um okay the show premiered september 66 and the first album meet the monkeys had already been released or was that a little further down the, uh only shortly thereafter okay only shortly thereafter um, here, here's my question i and, and I'm, I'm going off memory here i think the first broadcast episode versus the first show film the first broadcast episode was... Royal Flush. Okay, Royal Flush, where Davy falls in love with the princess and Theo Marcuse plays her father and he's trying to get her killed so that he can take over the kingdom of Bologna or whatever right, it is. Yeah, and, yeah. and what I remember, uh, 
Okay, I would have been two years old when the show first aired in 66. So I first saw it when it aired on CBS and ABC on Saturday mornings around 69, 70, when mm-hmm. I was five, or five mm-hmm. and six years old. Mm-hmm. And I always associate Girl I Knew Somewhere as the key song that played during the romp where Davy Jones has the sword fight with uh, Theo Marcuse. Now, when I watched that first episode a couple years ago when we first did the show about the music of the monkeys i was surprised that the song that aired or the song that played when that show first aired in september 66 was a different song i think it was take a giant step which is one of the boys and heart songs mm-hmm, if i remember mm-hmm. correctly but then you pointed out that as they released more singles and a second album uh, I believe they had a second album by the end of the first season. They did. What they would do is they would re, going back to editing, they would re-edit the episodes for the summer reruns and and s- swap out different songs, which is why when they reran Royal Flush in the summer of 67, that's why they played Girl I Knew Somewhere, and as is often the case, in syndication package, they don't always take the broadcast episodes. They may take the air, the show that aired in the summer reruns, and that's the one that 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 is. So, so that's why I associate that episode with Girl I Knew Somewhere. But uh, but they would swap out music all the time. The summer reruns, and eventually in the Saturday morning reruns when they had oh, when it was on CBS and ABC, right? Yes, and you're right. And when it was on in '70 and Saturday mornings, even some of the later Monkey songs, which weren't hits and the albums were fading, they put those in. And it worked because the three-minute romp had nothing to do with whatever music was on. Yeah. It was just a series of slapstick gags or visual humor so they could throw any three minutes of anything in it would although, be fine although personally i think girl i knew somewhere works better for that sword fight <laughs> well no no i'm, I'm sure it's because it's, it's, it's more up-tempo no it does but they that wasn't just giving no, give three minutes of something that. give yes. them three minutes of something and which which would also which which would also also explain why in the end credits the songs that were credited on the end credits did not always match the songs right. you heard in right. the 25 minutes. Because they, they weren't going to change the end credits, right. just the, the insert. Yeah. So while all this is going on, the monkeys are starting to get, briefly on the music, they're starting to get criticized in the press because they don't really play on the records. Nesmith, who had a big mouth at times and didn't think... <laughs> tells this and says well no we don't play on the records and big hoo-ha and they use session guys because there wasn't time for them to develop as a recording band and everybody used session guys a lot did the beach boys didn't play on a lot of their records and you know others it was more economical to have the session guys do the track and then have them come in and sing so there was a degree of stink about that among the musicians in L.A. who knew the Monkees, um, they were kind of okay with it because they knew it was a TV show. They were doing the best I can. They were getting better. They were starting to play a little bit on the records. But that didn't become an issue, and it certainly wasn't an issue at all to the guys who were running the show. Who cares? You know, it's it's a song. But Nesmith and, to a degree, Torque being, quote, real musicians, it, it started to bug them. Yeah. So, into 1967, 
the shows continue, you know, uh, there's a funny one, alias Mickey Dolan's, where he's two, two characters, um, monkeys chow mein, monkeys in Chinese restaurant, um, monkey mother with Rosemary, monkeys on the line about a, uh, answering service with Julie Newmar. So they, they kind of keep going in the same sort of lightweight sitcom, slightly anarchic, anarchic, if that's a word, uh, uh, way. And the consistency that I noticed in watching them, you know, as I did, it's pretty good. They, and I can't remember any specifics, but in the first season, there were maybe about two or three where I fast forward it through part of it. And I'm going, oh man, you know, it just didn't go, but that happens in network TV because you've got to grind them out like sausages, but pretty good. And, uh, the acting of the monkeys in the show gets better and better. Mickey settles down, and he's still manic and crazy, but he, he, he works towards the, the camera better. Because television, Ed, as you know, is a cool medium because um, it's in people's living room, and you have to watch being too aggressive, hard, and fast on them which would work in a big theater with a big screen, but it, you know, you've got to tone it down so the audience is more comfortable with you. And I think they all adapted. And surprisingly, they all turned into very good comic actors. They work well with each other. They work well with the other um, performers on the show. They all look real good. You know, they're all real good teen idols. They're in all the magazines and the pinups and everything. And it rolls along nicely. So the first season, really, on the whole, it, it's as good and in some ways better than, say, Get Smart or The Munsters or The Addams Family or uh, the other popular sitcoms of the day. Chuck Carter is with us as we revisit the Monkees television series. Calendar year 2023 marks the 55th anniversary of the final season of the Monkees. Chuck will be back in a couple of weeks. For part two of our conversation, we'll continue talking about some of the differences between season one of The Monkees and season two. We'll also talk about how a third season of The Monkees might have played out had the series continued. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more in a couple of weeks when Chuck comes back for part two of our conversation. In the meantime, we'll take a quick time out. The Michael Connolly will join us. We come back on TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. Or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you. 